Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. Someone found a loophole. They didn't actually violate the terms of the smart contract, but they violated the intent of the smart contract, right? And so they were able to basically run off with $50, $60 million. Welcome to the We Are LA Tech podcast, Crypto Fridays special edition. I'm your guest host, Ira Herman, and we have a very special guest in the studio today. We're talking with Amy Wan. Amy, go ahead and say hi. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Amy, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, please. Sure. So my name is Amy Wan. I am currently CEO of SageWise, which is a dispute resolution infrastructure for smart contracts in the blockchain and crypto space. And, you know, based in uh, good old L.A. (laughs) All right. Awesome. And uh, which part of L.A. are you located in? Long Beach. Oh, awesome. A lot of good stuff happening in Long Beach right now. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. The uh, the downtown uh, is is reinvigorated and I know a lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, what's the tech scene looking like right now there? It's interesting, you know, like obviously from a talent perspective, you know, I, I think the area still does struggle a little bit because people don't necessarily want to drive all the way down to Long Beach. But in terms of living there, I mean, it's just... It's not comparable. Like, you know, the the cost of living is, I think, relatively cheaper, but you've still got everything. You've got cool bars. You've got a cool scene. It's a little bit more low key, which, you know, I just I like. Okay, awesome. Can you tell me uh, what, what are you guys working on with Bootstrap Legal? Yeah. So Bootstrap Legal is the name of our company and our specific project in the blockchain space is called SageWise. Um, what that is, is a dispute resolution infrastructure for smart contracts. So you know, I know a lot of people think that smart contracts um, are this thing that, you know, they're immutable, they're self-executing, and they're supposed to be smart, but they're actually not. They're incredibly dumb, right? And so... Well, let's pause right there for one second. Uh, you mentioned smart contracts, and I know that's a buzzword a lot of people are hearing about uh, in the crypto space. I think uh, a lot of people don't know exactly what a smart contract is. So what is a smart contract? Sure. I think the name smart contract is kind of a misnomer. Um, It's probably better referred to as a programmable contract, right? But really what it is, is a series of if-then statements. If X happens, then Y happens. And so because it's written in code, um, it can be self-executing. And because it's on the blockchain, theoretically, it's immutable, which means you you can't change it. Okay, that makes sense. So it's a program, but it runs on the blockchain instead of on what a web server or a computer yeah. that it would normally run on. Yeah, that's it. And then the one really interesting aspect about smart contracts is that you can actually put stuff in it, right? You can put cryptocurrency, you can put, you know, a tokenized um, digital asset or whatever. So it can actually hold assets, which is, you know, uh, it's it's basically kind of like a digital escrow in some ways. Very interesting. All right. So digital escrow would be a third party kind of holding on to money or currency so that when there's two different parties, 
why would you need a third party to hold on your money? Why not just have one person give the money to the second person? Right. So here, essentially, the smart contract almost acts like escrow, right? So you don't really need a third party. If you, let's say, um, have a copyright that's been digitized and um, is held by a smart contract, then the smart contract essentially acts as escrow. So let's say... You know, you've got a deal like I'm going to pay five Bitcoin for this copyright, right? You would write mm-hmm. some code that says, if you pay me five Bitcoin, I will transfer you the digital copyright to this thing. And so um, the transaction basically self-executes when one party, um, you know, puts five Bitcoin into the smart contract and the other party puts that that copyright, then it just automatically you know, will self-execute. Interesting. So why can't the two parties just trust each other? <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole, the whole thing around blockchain is, you know, it's a decentralized trustless system, right? Right. Um, because, you know, if you kind of go back into the weeds of like the original Bitcoin paper, the Satoshi paper, um, you know, the the premise of a lot of that thinking there is that, Governments are corrupt. Centralized organizations are corrupt. So instead of of trusting a centralized party, we're building something that you don't have to trust. It's trustless um, because, you know, everyone has this copy of this, you know, distributed ledger and and you can't commit fraud or whatever it might be. You, Uh You can't have corruption. Very cool. Yeah, that makes sense. It's in a perfect world. We could just trust everyone. And if I'm going to buy something from you, then I can give you the money. And then in the perfect world, you will give me whatever I bought from you. And that's a fair exchange, even if it doesn't happen instantaneously. But in the real world, uh, people either forget <laughs> they're not motivated or some people are scamming or there's there's a whole spectrum of issues. So this works to where it eliminates that human error, I guess you'd say. Yeah, I mean, human beings are the most creative species on planet Earth, right? <laughs> like, I used to be general counsel of a comp- of a startup company, and you would not believe the crazy things I've seen. <laughs> wow. All right. So, uh, if I'm buying a service from you, copyright services, then I could, uh, or or patent, or legal work, or uh, music or a car, maybe a house, uh, I could put the money into one of your smart contracts. And then that way I know it's safe until you actually deliver the service or the good to me. And then it will execute. Exactly. Okay, great. So it just enforces automatically these rules so we don't have to worry about it on either side. Yeah. And so, you know, you can use any smart contract to do this. You can program your own smart contract. What we're specifically doing is, you know, a smart contract is really only as good as it was programmed, right? So, you're, you know, you're relying on a smart contract developer. You're relying on the smart contract security auditing firm. But at the end of the day, smart contracts still might have coding errors. Hmm. You st- still might have security vulnerabilities. And you've got folks out there who are writing smart contracts that are actually incredibly complex. And the more complex something is, the more parties will need to amend, modify, or terminate their smart contracts because things happen, right? Situations happen that are out of your control and situations change. So what we're doing, you know, we don't sit there and write the smart contracts. 
What we're doing instead is we're providing that dispute resolution layer so that if anything happens to the extent there's some technical error or to the extent, you know, the situation has changed, we provide a little bit of flexibility in the system for the parties to adapt accordingly. Very good points there. So the the smart contract, I think most people would think they're just kind of perfect, but they are made by humans and they're, <laughs> and they're prone to error. Yes. And uh, and so you guys are there uh, when these problems arise or uh, if you need to invalidate a, uh, a contract, that's something you can do. Exactly. And, and you know, the thing is, and, and you hit upon the point perfectly that, you know, the smart contract is only as good as its author's coding, right? And so if you go back, um, I think that the big seminal example of a smart contract failing is the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Back in 2016, mm. it was, was a big, big yeah. publicized hack. Yeah, it was a decentralized fund that raised what at the at the time it was an equivalent of 150, 160 million. But someone found a loophole. They didn't actually violate the smart the terms of the smart contract, but they violated they violated the intent of the smart contract. Right? They found a a security vulnerability or a loophole, mm. and so they were able to basically run off with 50, 60 million dollars um, at the time. And, you know, I, I think that's one of your primary examples. But even just a couple months ago, right, you saw parity wallet hack number two. Oh, yeah. And today you've got, what, $150 million, probably more now, in Ethereum sitting there and there's no resolution. And the only way you can really save it is you have to, like, hard fork the Ethereum blockchain. Otherwise, they don't know what they're going to do with it right now. And every time you hard fork the blockchain, you know, you're basically picking winners and losers. <laughs> yeah. So, so a few key terms there. So one is the parity wallet itself. Uh, what, what is parity wallet? What is, what do people use that for? Or what yeah. did they use it for before? So, <laughs> so parity wallet is just one of several multi-signature wallets out there where people, they, they'll use a wallet to like keep their, their cryptocurrency or their coins or tokens or whatever it might be. So it was one of these many wallets, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, it, you know, Parity Wallet has actually gotten hacked twice. Um, but the second hack, supposedly, um, some younger, inexperienced Ethereum uh, or Solidity developer went in. And, and Solidity is the programming language of smart contracts. Yes, exactly. Right? That's the the language used to code contracts to program on Ethereum, yes. on the Ethereum blockchain. Exactly. Okay. And so you had this, you know, young, I guess, or inexperienced developer who went on and found this vulnerability and supposedly he or she tried to test it out, although some people thought it was more malicious and basically deleted um, some critical code that basically froze up a lot of the infrastructure and thereby locked about $150 million of Ether in that's just now sitting wow. in purgatory. <laughs> so people were using Parity as this is one of the wallets that you could use to hold on to and manage, send and receive your Ethereum. Uh, would you know, as, as opposed to Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. Exactly. And so people were holding ethereum or ether in their uh parity wallets and then the parity wallets ended up getting hacked or interfered with and now anyone who had 
ether inside of those wallets, uh, it, it's frozen. They can't access it. Exactly. And and so, you know, and this is not an isolated event. Like you're seeing a lot of smart contract vulnerabilities across the ecosystem, right? So, if you, you know, if you count the DAO hack back in 2016, um, the equivalent of 50 or 60 million US dollars was lost in that smart contract. In 2017, wow. with all the different hacks of ICOs and wallets and all these other things that run in smart contracts, you're looking at a billion U.S. dollars lost in just in smart contracts alone. And I think that number is just going to continue to rise into the future. Wow. And so a, a couple more things to mention. You talked a little bit about the Dow, uh, not the Dow Jones Industrial <laughs> Average, not DOW, but DAO which uh, which is stands for Digital Autonomous Organization. It's no longer around, but it was, uh, what was it? An organization where people could put their ether yeah. into it and then vote on what to invest in. It's was basic, that right? It was basically a decentralized fund. So people would, f you know, put funds into it. Then they were a member of this fund and people would basically upvote, downvote and propose projects that could get funded. So it's a cool idea. It's uh, instead of a a fund controlled completely by people in management, it was decentralized where the the holders of parts of the fund could vote and propose projects. Interesting idea. Uh, but yeah, so so that ended up getting hacked. Has Ethereum itself gotten hacked or is it just these these smart contracts that have been written? Well, you know, I think, um, you know, I. I I don't think we necessarily want to go so far as to say like Ethereum, the blockchain has been hacked. I mean, it uh, it is all out there, right? I, I think Ethereum certainly has a lot of issues right now that they're trying to work through, uh, specifically scaling issues, right? Um, like Right, the network's getting kind of overloaded. Yeah, yeah. Costs more to send transactions on it right now. Right, but, you know, smart contracts are one of the main tools on which to transact um, on the Ethereum blockchain and, you know, a lot of other blockchains as well. And so, you know, I think that's why we see a dispute resolution infrastructure as so critical because um, if your smart contract developer was not very good and your security audit was not very good, then at the end of the day, um, you're pretty much left with nothing unless you're using our infrastructure. We're kind of that third layer of insurance that lets the first two layers sleep a little bit better at night. All right. So that, that makes a lot of sense there uh, in this utopian vision, the code works perfectly <laughs> and no humans are required to, to jump in and, uh, and do anything about it. But in the real world, the code uh, can be and has been imperfect. And so there needs to be some kind of dispute resolution process. And, and that's what you guys do. You're, you're there to help, make sure that if something goes wrong or is unexpected, uh, then people don't hack or, or <laughs> walk away without completing their end of the bargain. Yeah. So what we're, our goal really is to provide transactional confidence or certainty into the space, right? Because the whole success of the blockchain space really relies on transactional certainty to really take off. Businesses will only do business if they know what they're going to get out of you know, whatever transactions they do, not if every time they enter into a smart contract, 
it's like playing roulette. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. And so what we do is we bring, um, you know, we're, we're that third layer where it's like, if anything goes wrong for any reason, we basically have a modular piece of code that people would have stuck into their smart contracts at the very beginning. Um, they can trigger that code. It'll freeze execution of the smart contract. So, you know, to the extent it's getting hacked or whatever, you don't still see assets leaving. And then um, it basically kicks the entire thing into a dispute resolution marketplace because how you resolve a $5 dispute is very different from how you resolve a $5 million dispute. I'm sure. And then the entire thing basically sits on top of a private jurisdiction because as an attorney, I've looked into this and I don't think that the traditional legal system today is equipped to handle smart contract disputes. You know, you've got a lot of smart contracts are done pseudonymously, which means you don't know the identity of the other party. And to that extent, you're kind of locked out of the legal system, right? You, there's mm. no one for you to name in a complaint. There's no one for you to serve a complaint to. And even if you could, they're probably like on the other side of the world in Estonia or Gibraltar or something. Um, and then there's a lot of other problems, right? Like a court might be able to give you a, uh, a dispute resolution or a judgment, but they can't technically in, do enforcement or collections of the assets in the smart contract. They don't have that technical capability. And even if they hired someone with that technical capability, you know, it kind of goes back to the parity wallet number two situation where it's, you know, the assets are stuck there in the contract in the smart contract. You can't do anything unless you to the smart contract, unless you had the code in the smart contract in the first place to be able to, um, change things around, right? And the last thing is, you know, it makes sense because the the smart contracts are are read only or they're they're written once and then they're unchangeable, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a crazy thing. Your code, if it's not perfect, which a lot of these cases it's not, you can't just go in and and update it and save it. Exactly. Exactly. It's uh it's not Microsoft Word. <laughs> so you so you you guys have a mechanism to go in there that gives you that control to turn it on and off and some other other safety measures that people can add to their their contracts? Yes, exactly. So we have a number of different features from time locks to, you know, the ability to freeze execution of the smart contract and all those things taken together are meant to provide um, more, more transactional confidence and certainty that the actual intent of the parties ex- is executed. Cool. And you mentioned earlier too a hard fork. So this, is, it sounds like you guys have a great dispute resolution process. You have some safety measures uh, to put in when you, you're creating or coding the contracts. Uh, the alternative then with with the hard fork, uh, why not just do a hard fork every time? Or what is a hard fork? Just to explain uh, for any of us who who don't know, maybe you've heard the term, but uh, yeah. it's a te- very technical term. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I would describe it to lay people is, you know how like when something's wrong with your computer and you have to reset it? Except here. That's, that's the, I, I used to do IT years ago. That's the <laughs> default troubleshooting step. Yeah, so, turn it off, turn it back on. Yeah, so... <laughs> You know, imagine you're resetting your computer, but there's an entire network of computers, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not resetting one, you're resetting the entire system, right? And so the entire system is being reset. That's essentially what a hard fork is. So uh, Ethereum, the the group that runs and keeps the code updated and maintained, actually did this then. They 
reset the whole Ethereum network. Well, yeah, they had to back for the DAO because at that time, um, you know, Ethereum was a pretty early stage project. They didn't have that much traction yet. And and for the DAO to cripple Ethereum would have really set them back. So they they did the hard fork, um, you know, back in 2016, and it raised a lot of questions as to, well, is this truly a decentralized system then? If you, if, you know, one right. person or a small group of people can basically hard fork the entire network and, and reset it. And, and resetting it, that had the effect of the, the money that had been stolen in the DAO hack went back in those people's Ethereum wallets. Is that right? Um, I can't remember the technical details, but I think what they did was uh, not quite that. They, uh, it, it, it didn't, necessarily reverse the transaction it just created like um something parallel that everyone else um who was a t- uh an ether holder got their equivalent amount in ether in in that uh oh the new parallel the, yeah, system. The new blockchain or the new system yeah so yeah they they took the the old one and they couldn't just change the distributed ledger and roll back the transactions because blockchains don't support that. Uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, they created a whole new clone of the chain, a fork of the chain, and then they moved everyone over to the new fork instead so that everyone's on this different ledger with different transactions in it. Exactly. So yeah, that obviously raises some <laughs> interesting questions. I mean, it sounds like a good thing to do because the money was stolen or mm-hmm. the cryptocurrency was stolen. But uh, but yeah, could could the people who are maintaining the code and running it just do this anytime they feel like it and then take my ether out of my wallet? Well, it's so funny, right? Because if you look at the conversations back then about, you know, people deciding what to do because the DAO had been hacked, some people were like, oh, no, code is law. Like what they did was technically fine. And then you had other people on the other side of the spectrum be, being like, you know, we lost money and we're unhappy. We're going to go to the police, right? Which is yeah. really funny because that's, you know, kind of against the the philosophical tenements of uh, of this entire industry. But um, but yeah, you know, what we're trying to do is make sure that you don't have to go sit there and keep hard forking every time something goes wrong because there are a lot of s- small smart contracts you know, every day now that have gone wrong and they haven't gotten the opportunity to reverse it or have a hard fork, right? And so, you know, on one hand, you're picking winners and losers. And the other hand, you know, you can't just reset the system every single time something like this happens. And so what we're trying to do is solve things on a contract by contract basis, as opposed to, you know, let's uh, reset the entire blockchain every time something goes wrong. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So people, uh, if they want to do this and not have to worry about errors in programming or disputes that might arise uh, or losing money in the transaction, uh, that the core Ethereum team isn't going to do another hard fork and 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 uh, move everyone to a new chain again, uh, then how can people get in touch with your company? Yeah, sure. So you know, they can find us on Telegram. We're SageWise. Um, I'm, you know, we are obviously on all the social media channels. So 
LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're, you know, they what, can. What's your Twitter? My personal Twitter account is Amy Y. Wan. Um, yeah, and so they can just find and friend just me there. Tweet at you. Yeah. All right, cool. And then and then the uh, the website? Yeah, sure. It's sagewise.io. And the, um, you know, the larger company website is bootstraplegal.com. What's the difference between the two websites? Uh, so Sagewise is, you know, specifically relates to this smart contract dispute resolution infrastructure project. Bootstrap, you know, there are a couple other projects under it. Okay, great. And tell, tell us a little bit more about the company. So you guys are based in Long Beach. How big is the team? Yeah. So primarily right now is just me and my co-founder, who's the CTO. Um, He has been, you know, CTO and VP of engineering of several companies. And, you know, we're both startup veterans, specifically fintech startup veterans. Awesome. I I like that. And why did you choose LA or the LA area, Long Beach? Um, You know, I think it's really personal reasons. Um, I I was born and raised in LA and, you know, obviously spent some time in other cities, DC, London, but, you know, spending time away just made me realize that LA is the land of milk and honey. The food is, the food's good here. The The weather, even though we pay a premium on it here is so good. Like you, you can't beat it. <laughs> yeah. The the weather is, is pretty unbelievable here. So ideal, ideal place to live. And since you're living here, you base the company here. Yeah, definitely. What resources or other companies do you recommend here in LA? Oh gosh. Um, you know, for anyone who's looking for a really great startup uh, business coach, I highly recommend Cam Kashani. You know, I work with her and have absolutely loved my experience. Um, and in general, in, in terms of resources, gosh, there's so much happening right now in the LA blockchain um, and crypto community. There's a ton of meetups. Um, there's a lot of, you know, media companies and PR companies popping up. Um, I think LA is just chock full of resources and you just got to seek them out. Awesome. Yeah. So I think over the past couple months, I've just gotten so many um, emails from people with issues in the crypto or blockchain space from, you know, my funds are stuck on this exchange to, I invested in this ICO and I'm unhappy because they did or did not do something. And so we're actually about to launch a dispute intake uh, form and forum uh, for the crypto community because we want to know what's happening out there and to see if we can, you know, help people with the issues that they're having in the space because there seem to be a lot of them. Um, And so I would ask people, you know, follow us and look out for that when it happens and tell your friends about it because, you know, the the space is only so good as we work to make it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for being on the show. And thank you guys for listening to another episode of Crypto Fridays. Have a great weekend. Yes, you can now get your We Are LA Tech tea. You've all been asking for it. Just go to wearelatech.com slash shop to be a part of the movement to make Los Angeles the top city in the world for tech. Yes, we are number three. Let's get it to number one. wearelatech.com slash shop represent. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not the opinions of We Are Light Tech or their participants and are subject to change. The content of the show, the videos, website, and all related works are provided for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to be, nor does it constitute financial investment or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to investing, finances, trading, or anything else based on this content without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to buy, sell, or trade any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent financial advisor. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.